Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. Matthew 6, 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Short and sweet today. Um, At this time, I'd like to invite our Pastor Billy up to uh, pray for him. You guys can be seated. God, thank you for, thank you for this weather. Thank you for spring. Thank you for this family um, that's joined here um, to celebrate and to worship you. God, I just, I thank you for this season. Thank you for a time to stop and remember what this coming week means, Lord. What you did for us the ultimate sacrifice that your son made. I pray as we enter this week, Lord, that you give us times throughout every day to stop and reflect and pause on what that means for us, God. That in the sadness of Friday, we, we know that Sunday is coming, Lord. Help us not to forget that. Um, I pray for Billy this morning. Um, as you've given him some words to share with us, Lord, I pray that he can step out of the way that he can share the message that comes directly from you, that we have open ears, open hearts, open minds to receive that this morning. We praise you. We love you. Thank you for loving us. Amen. Amen. So, yes, if you would, please grab a copy of the Easter Stories. It's a really excellent resource. And, man, I'm telling you, like, even if you don't have kids, it rules. It's a great way to read through this week and to prepare our hearts for Easter Sunday. So again, those are just at that red table in the back. Make sure you grab one of those on your way out. All right, so there was a minister who had an extremely important meeting, and he was running late. And of course, he happened to be going to a part of town where there was never parking. It's the worst. It's like anywhere in Asheville, right? You just, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to park. And so he shows up. He's like, I'm going to be 20 minutes early. Everything's going to be fine. No problem. He drives around for 18 minutes, circling and circling, looking for a parking place anywhere. He goes up and down different parking garages, nothing. And he's absolutely frustrated. He cannot be late to this meeting. And so he sees a no parking zone that kind of looks like it could be, you know, a parking spot. He pulls in. He says, I don't, I'm going to, you know, Lord, be with me. Writes a note that says, I'm really sorry. I'm a minister. I had an important meeting forgive us our trespasses, and puts it on his dash, or puts it on the uh, windshield. He comes back, and he sees a ticket with a note on top of it, and the note says, hey, I'm sorry, I've been working this block for only 10 days, and if I didn't give you a ticket, I could lose my job, so lead us not into temptation. We find ourselves here at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Now, we've been walking through this prayer over the last several weeks, kind of just seeing this model that Jesus gives us for what prayer is. It's one that many of us are really familiar with. I mean, I think some of us in here could just recite it from memory because we've heard it so many times. And my hope is that this sermon series has really helped you to see the depth and the power of modeling our prayer this way, right? Of looking at Jesus and how he teaches us to pray. Now, this prayer is divided into six different petitions or requests. We already looked at most of them. The first three are for God, right? Your name, your kingdom, your will. And 
there are three that are for us. Give us, forgive us, and now lead us not, but deliver us. Last week, Michael walked through God's provision and forgiveness. And man, if you missed that, you're definitely going to want to catch that online on the podcast because it's extremely helpful. But today, we get to what could derail us from what we have been praying. We get to the deception of temptation and our enemy. Now listen, y'all, we live in a world where we are constantly bombarded with evil. If you have a smartphone, you have a one-way ticket to just doom scroll constantly and see death and gloom and destruction and dismay all over the place. It's pervasive. It's overwhelming. Jesus knew that as we follow him, we would encounter the enemy. So Cormdeo, let me just be frank. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. And I want to get your attention right here, right now. See, C.S. Lewis, he wrote a book that we've talked about several times when we talk about the enemy. It's a book called The Screwtape Letters. It's a fictitious book about an older demon writing to a younger demon on how to tempt a Christian. And part of it is he, he knows that there is this, we have this vision in our heads of like a guy in red tights with a pitchfork. And so we just like cackle laugh at like the silliness of like, okay, evil and the enemy. And so we don't really want to take it serious. This is what C.S. Lewis says, and I, and I love it. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. We kind of have two equal and opposite errors, right? We've got some people who are like, there, there's, it's Billy Chill, right? There's no devil, there's no evil. Like, I mean, we're just bad, you know, sometimes we do bad things. Or you've got other people who are like, the devil is everywhere, you know? And so we've got to find a balance between these two and walk in that hope. Here's what 1 Peter 5.8 tells us. 1 Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful, Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We cannot take this lightly. Why? Because the enemy wants to destroy you, friend. He wants to rip apart your marriage. He wants you to feel hopelessly alone. He wants you to be at odds with your coworkers, with your boss, with everyone. He wants you to fail, and if he can't destroy you that way, he'll destroy you subtly through numbness. This part of the prayer, friends, is a request and a petition for protection. It's a request and a petition for protection. So let's take this understanding and let's look at this verse in two halves. The first half is, the first half of verse 13, lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. Here is where we are. Jesus has, again, he's laid a foundation throughout this prayer. Specifically, he just laid the foundation for disciples to confront their past sins in their prayer. Both how they have sinned against others and against the Lord, and also how they can be a forgiving people, right? And so Jesus has shown us the same thing. We can seek the Lord for forgiveness. We can also offer and extend forgiveness to others. But Jesus now directs our attention to how how to approach the future temptation of sin. Here's the thing. Temptation is relentless, and no believer is exempt from it. 
think we can all agree with that because we're daily faced with the temptation to sin. And maybe that leaves you sometimes feeling a bit overwhelmed, maybe hopeless and defeated. But just as Jesus instructs his hearers to go to the Father and ask them to, to, hey, God, please give us what we need. Help us to forgive others. So now he's teaching us that we can go to God and ask him to not bring us into temptation. And friends, we're to do the same. So here's the question you may be wondering. um, Does God lead us into temptation? Is that what Jesus is saying? Like, what, what does Jesus really mean by these words? I think a really helpful way to understand this is to know Greek, which most of us don't. The, the, the Greek term here is actually translated to mean temptation, but it can also mean, in this context, it can imply testing, trials. It's where we see the schemes of Satan, where he meets us in our afflicting circumstances. So, again, those moments of life, those trials, those circumstances that are hard, the enemy often meets us in it and tempts us to fall away. And what Jesus is trying to point you and I at to see is that none of us have sufficient strength on our own to fight these things or to endure. Let me say that again. None of us have sufficient strength on our own might, on our own strength to fight these things or to endure. We just read that the enemy is like a roaring lion, okay? And if a lion jumped in here today, I promise you, the most masculine, manly of men would not be like, I got it. Like, you would be like, ah! You would run, right? It's, not a, it's a scary, serious thing. I think it could devour and consume you and take you down in an instant. Sin and temptation are destructive. And when we take them lightly, we are walking into our own doom. Sin and temptation are a real threat to our communion with God, to the everyday life that we are called to live in his kindness. And if we don't deal with temptation appropriately, here's what happens. It gives birth to sin. And scripture tells us, where does sin lead? Death. This is not a joke. Jesus is telling us that we need God's help to refrain from falling into temptation. Why is that? Well, Scripture tells us that even if we desire good, we are often and mostly inclined towards evil. And our evil desires can tempt us to sin and ultimately lead us to destruction. And again, Cormdale, let me just remind you that we live in a constant state of spiritual warfare. There is a real war happening in your hearts and in your mind seeking to pull you one way or the other. We desire to do good but we don't do it. That's what Romans 7 is all about. Paul's wrestling. Why am I not? I want to do the right thing, but I keep being a fool. It's only through the interceding of the Holy Spirit, the active work of God's word in our hearts that we can fight against temptation and sin. Now, here's the deal. Temptation in this life will come, and and we will not be able to fight against it on our own. But Jesus instructs his disciples to pray for protection and provision from the one who does have sufficient strength and power to prevail. And that's good news. You want to know how good our God is? You see, with God's help, trials, circumstances, tests can be used to refine us, shape us, instead of destroying us. The circumstances of our life are allowed by God. 
And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to use those things to wreck you, to destroy you. God is seeking to refine you. James chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So here's what James is saying. When those trials come, when those tests come, God is at work. And we know this, right? We can look back on our lives and we can look back and with hindsight and say, man, there was this moment, it seemed so broken and desperate, but there were so many cool things that happened. You know, if it wouldn't have been for this circumstance, then I wouldn't have met so-and-so. I wouldn't have gotten this job. I wouldn't be where I'm at now. How we respond to trials will determine whether we're tempted or tested. Now again, we ask the question, does God tempt us? Well, here's what James says in verse 13 of chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Friends, God is the one who rescues us from sin. He's the one who makes us long for holiness. The one that makes us long for goodness. Not the one who incites us to go against the grain of his loving will. And so God does not tempt us, but he does often allow these times of testing. We just have to look to the Gospels to see this. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And then when he was in the wilderness, who shows up but Satan to tempt him? And Jesus overcame it. You see, in that case, God allowed the testing, but God was not the instrument of temptation. When Jesus asks the Father to not bring us into temptation, what he's doing is he's modeling how we as his followers should pray, knowing that we're dependent on God to protect us from our evil desires that lead us to sin. You see, God desires to make us holy as he is holy. He commands us to pursue righteousness, to flee from sin. But catch this. He does not issue this command without making a way. He does not issue this command without making a way. Pretty well-known verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I know it's a lot of Bible today, but we need it. Verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, here's the deal. People, people will often take this verse, and they'll say something like this to you. Hey, brother, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. You ever heard that? I've heard that a lot. Is that what that said? I don't think it is. I think a better way of understanding that, a better way of saying it is this. God doesn't give you more than Jesus can handle. Because often we look to ourselves for our own strength. And y'all, guess what? Holy Week is a reminder that it ain't in us. If we could muster up enough goodness, then Jesus would not have had to come. We would not need the cross. But the reality is it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God is faithful. 
God doesn't give you more than Jesus can handle. He is the one who is faithful. I'm sorry if you've said that before, believed that before, but I want to bring you to a deeper, richer hope. Friends, we are submitting to God's ultimate deliverance. We're pleading with God to spare us from the temptations and spiritual attacks of sin that happen to us every single day. And Jesus is teaching you and I to pray for endurance in the fight against temptation. And he's telling us to do it in the very same way that we would ask for bread. Listen, y'all, sin and temptation, it's a lifelong struggle, and we need the Lord for strength to overcome it. We need to be daily pleading for God's protection from sin. When we do this, it reveals a right understanding of the evils of this world. It gives us a right understanding of God's power and his provision. We need the Lord's help to graciously guide us away from temptation at every single turn. Now, I want to give you guys a good example, right? I I think there's a really great story that helps me understand this. There's a story from Fox's Book of Martyr that really helps how we think about this petition for protection against temptation, right? Again, we're not supposed to just wake up in the morning and be like, man, I ate my Wheaties, I'm awesome, I'm ready to go, I can do it. But we again pray, Lord, please lead us not into temptation. So history records the fate of two men who were condemned to die under Queen Mary. Maybe you've heard the nickname Bloody Mary before. That comes from this monarch who burned hundreds of Protestants at the stake. These two men were set in prison. They were awaiting their burning. And it's the night before the event is to happen. And they're sitting there with other men who are awaiting trial. And one of them boasts very loudly. He says to his companions, I'm going to be a man at the stake. He said he was so grounded in the gospel, he would never deny Christ. He even said that he longed for this fatal morning like a bride for her wedding. On the other side of the cell was another prisoner who was extremely afraid. Says in Fox's Book of Martyrs that he was a poor, trembling soul. He said he's always been very sensitive to suffering. He was very, very, very afraid that when he would begin to burn. The pain would cause him to deny the truth. And he urged his friends to pray for him. And he spent time weeping over his weakness and crying out to God for strength. But the other man continually rebuked him and chided him for being so unbelieving and weak. Come on, man, step it up. What's wrong with you? Don't cry. The next morning when they both came to the stake, the one who had been so bold saw the pile of wood saw the reality of what was getting ready to happen, and immediately recanted at the sight of the fire. And he went back shamefully to a life that denied Jesus as Lord, while the one who was poor and trembling and afraid, whose prayer had been, lead me not into temptation, stood firm as a rock, praising and magnifying God as he died a cruel death. Purim Deo, the proper prayer for protection is soaked with the awareness that we are profoundly weak, and liable to fall. Lest any of us think we got this whole thing on lock. I know what I'm doing. I'm strong enough. I can do it again. Would we set our minds to the cross and remember that Jesus came for a reason. And if you could deal with your sin, well then friend, you don't need Jesus or the church. You can do it on your own. And that, friends, is a pathway to destruction. 
Peter tells his readers that we're often brought to moments of difficulty and trial and circumstances and that we shouldn't be surprised at the fiery trial that awaits us. He was writing to Christians who were in Rome who were quite literally facing the reality that they might be crucified and set on fire because that's how Nero liked to persecute believers. We read in Romans chapter 5, this is what we see in Romans 5 verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, God wants to work in your life. A trial is an affliction that is designed to develop you. A trial is an affliction that is designed to develop you. A trial may be caused or allowed by God to produce in you steadfastness and a great hope. Temptation, well, temptation is utterly different. Temptation, friends, is a solicitation by Satan to disconnect you from the living God. It's a solicitation by Satan to disconnect you from the living God. Here's what, it, here's what I'm saying. When we go through hard circumstances, congratulations, welcome to the human experience. All of us experience that. We all experience trials. We all experience difficult moments. In those moments, God is calling our faith to the witness stand. God, in that moment, provides the way of escape in Jesus. Will we seek him, or will we fall into temptation? Trial grows you. Temptation seeks to defeat you. When we pray this prayer, we're asking God to keep us free from the schemes of the devil. And to have our hearts set on God's kingdom agenda. We are praying, God, please don't lead me to a circumstance where I am destroyed. I love the way that Pastor Wesley Hill puts it. He says this. He says, reading these words in the context of the entire gospel, we can see immediately that God intends to answer, has already answered this prayer. We will be saved from the time of ultimate trial, sheltered from it, and spared from ever experiencing its true horrors because there is one who already has experienced those horrors in our place. Friends, God has already done what we ask of him. And that brings us to the second part of this verse. But deliver us from evil. From the very beginning of the Bible to the end, we're told the story of God's plan to deliver us from the evil one. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we see the first glimpse of God's plan to crush the head of the serpent, Satan, the ultimate evil one who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. Continuing all the way through the Old Testament, we see the promise of a seed through the line of Abraham and the prophecy of a child in the book of Isaiah. We see leaders like Moses and kings like David all pointing us to a better king, a better leader. And in the Gospels, this promise is born. 
This promise is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He is our rescuer. He is our deliverer. He lived among God's people, fully flesh, fully divine, knowing that the cross was set before him. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of God's people. And his resurrection, which we're going to celebrate next week, defeated death once and for all. He assured deliverance from evil through his victory. And while he was on the cross, Jesus' heel was bruised. But when he rose from the dead, Satan's head was crushed. Our only hope in deliverance from evil is through Jesus Christ. Friends, we are incapable in and of ourselves. When we take on the righteousness of Christ, we are putting to death the desires of the flesh. In Christ, we share in his victorious defeat, and we are supernaturally equipped to face the remaining evil of this world. What that means, friends, is that you and I are prepared to wage war, strengthened by the Holy Spirit, putting on the full armor of God that we might stand against the schemes of Satan. Ephesians 6 tells us that we are equipped, that we're equipped with God's word, which becomes a belt of truth around our waist to fight against deception and lies, and with righteousness as a shield, that God would fuel our faith to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. That we pray in hope that the Father would deliver us from evil both now and forever. We talk about this often, that we live in both the already and not yet. That Jesus has already defeated sin, but we live in the now waiting for this to be fully realized at his return. Jesus teaches us to pray with urgency that God would deliver us from evil. And so we pray for the day when all will be made right in the world. I mean, we all long for this, don't we? When there will be no more pain or sorrow, sickness or suffering and evil will be defeated once and for all. So as we wage war against sin and temptation, our anchor of hope is that God will help us now and that victory is coming. Friends, this gives you and I a deep-rooted confidence. But y'all, we can't be those who live ignorantly. Jesus teaches us to pray this way because the enemy very much still trips us up. Like, who in here has lost the battle to temptation? All of us? Yeah, you guys don't have to raise your hands because some people wouldn't, and those people would be then lying, so they would fall. That's the point, right? We all fall to temptation. Now, I have a uh, collection of shame in my closet. It's my collection of failed Cleveland Brown quarterbacks. Um, Perhaps the funniest of all of them is Johnny Manziel. If you don't know who Johnny Manziel is, you don't care about football, it's fine. Just stay with me. Johnny Manziel uh, came into the NFL extremely arrogant. He said, and I quote, I'm going to wreck this league. Um, In reality, he was the hot mess express. Uh, He did nothing but get wrecked himself. He cared way more about being famous and partying than he did about actually playing football. And he was punished by the team for being late to practice, falling asleep in meetings, and lying about watching game film. Now here's the deal. 
our enemy, is more like Tom Brady than Johnny Manziel. Here's what I mean. He has loads of game film on you. And he's not lazy about it. He knows how to trip you up. He knows how to pull your eyes off of Jesus. He knows just the perfect deception, just the perfect lie to tell you in the moment of trial, in the moment of circumstances that leads you away from Jesus. That moment when you could rejoice and say, hey, despite hardship and circumstances, I'm going to have joy. Lord, I'm going to practice gratitude that I have food in the fridge. I have a place to lay my head. Instead, you're just like, yeah, that boss is kind of a jerk. And you're like, you know what? He is. And I refuse to have joy. And we go down this path of deception till the next thing you know, we're blowing up at everyone we see. Friends, the enemy isn't playing around. He wants to destroy you. He turns good food into gluttony. He takes sex and turns it into immorality. He takes money and turns it into greed and debt. Evil is lurking around every corner seeking to overtake you. And how does our enemy work? How does he trip us up? Well, friends, he is primarily a deceiver. Romans 12 verse 9 says, or Revelation 12 verse 9 says, the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, who is what? The deceiver of the whole world. John 8, 44 says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. His native tongue is deception. His native tongue is lies. So the strategy of the devil is bringing about temptation and evil. How does he do it? He deceives us. Guys, this is not new. We see this all the way back in the garden. Did God really say? Is God really good? He wants to put thoughts in your minds or feelings in your soul that are false. He lies to us about where happiness is best to be found. So what helps? How are we to be delivered from the evil one? Well, if we look at another one of Jesus' well-known prayers, specifically the high priestly prayer in John 17, we get a clue. John 17, verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Y'all, this is Jesus praying specifically for you. And verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So how do we combat lies? With the truth. And where is truth found? In the word. The antidote of every falsehood are the truths of scripture. Let me just, as we kind of are coming down to the close here, let me just give you three verses to help us understand how we do this. First, Hebrews 3.13. It says this, Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So how are we delivered? We're delivered, friends, by the church. Exhort one another every day, lest you be deceived. We are called into community, y'all. We encourage and challenge and speak the word to each other. That when you're doubting, I can encourage you. When I'm doubting, you can encourage me. You can point me back to the truth. Again, the prayer here is not deliver me, it's deliver us. We got together at our men's event recently and uh, 
my good buddy Brad has mentioned this video mul multiple times about interviewing and asking men, hey, who do you talk to when life is hard? Who do you reach out to when you've had a terrible day? It's a super popular video. It's been watched millions of times, and it literally says over and over again, no one. I don't talk to anyone. I can talk to someone. I don't need to talk to anyone. I'm a man. It's not just men. A lot of us feel this way. That we don't have anyone to reach out to. We don't need to talk to anybody. I can do it by myself. You ever heard of the lone wolf mentality? Check this. A lone wolf is a dead wolf. You see a lone wolf? That's a wolf without a pack. It's a wolf headed for destruction and dismay. Stop trying to live your life by yourself. Stop thinking that if, if I just, you know, do the right things, if I'm cool with Jesus, we're going to be fine. I don't need the church. The church is his bride, and he calls you to it. Next, put off your old self. Ephesians 4, verse 22. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So desires come in. They lie to you. And what do you have to do? You've got to tell the truth about your desires and put on the new man. And what is he? Well, verse 23 says, he's renewed in the spirit of your mind. Mind's filled with what? Well, we get to verse 24, and it says, put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So we conquer the old self with its deceitful desires by doing what? We fill our minds with the truth, the precious, infinitely valuable, Christ-exalting truth of the scriptures. Y'all want to combat evil? Do you want to fight temptation? Then take the playbook of Jesus Christ. Fight deceit by hiding the word of God in your heart. You want some really, really practical advice. I mean, just like, Billy, tell me what to do. Normally I don't do this, but here, I'll give you one. Take this thing, this smartphone, and get it out of your bedroom. At night, put it somewhere else. Plug it in. What if someone calls? Put your ringer on. It's fine. Turn off your other notifications. We have a lot of great technology with Do Not Disturb to set it for emergencies. Get it out of your bedroom. And when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do before you look at the doom-scrolling horrors of our world is open up the Word of God. Before anything else, man, if you don't know where to go, just go to Psalm 1 tomorrow morning. Start there. Start somewhere. Get in God's Word every day before you behold the doom and gloom of social media. I promise you, it will make a difference. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Where did your old passions come from? Well, we were foolish. Why? Because we didn't have the eyes to see Christ as beautiful and superior to any other temptation. So what do we do? We kill that ignorance. With what? Well, you can only kill ignorance with one thing, knowledge. Knowledge of the truth. So let me ask this question. How are you growing in your knowledge of Jesus? Are you reading the word? Are you connecting with other people? Guys, we put books back there, not because we just like books. We put books back there that we curate. We pay the cost so that you can have them for free, so that you can grab a buddy and say, hey, will you read this with me? I, I want to know more about this. I, I want to walk with Jesus more. I want to grow in knowledge. Y'all, let's become learners together. God delivers me and you from evil by saturating us with the word. And we know that Satan is strong and more than capable of deception, but the stronger one has bound and defeated him. Jesus Christ wins. 
Jesus Christ wins the battle. And when we pray, deliver us from the evil one, we are in the same breath acknowledging that God's power is greater, that God can deliver us. Martin Luther wrote the epic hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's weird to sing because it's very like you're marching somewhere, but it's so epic, it's so beautiful, and he nails it with this line. This is what he says in Mighty Fortress. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. It's dope. It's so good. Coram Deo, deliver us from evil. It should be a part of our daily prayer. I pray regularly that God would put a hedge around you, around my family. I also intercede for those that I know are undergoing attacks from Satan, praying that they will be delivered from his power and his lies. We are taught to pray, to intercede. Jesus wants us to be aware that we are in a war. That if we're depending on God, we can live with confidence in step with him. But if we have our heads down, focused on ourselves and the superficial things of this life, we can so easily be shipwrecked. A story to land the plane. A story that I love from scripture comes from 2 Kings. Just to give you a little bit of context here, Israel's at war with Syria. And the king of Syria would be making these plans, these battle plans to go against Israel to take them down. And every single time, it seemed like Israel knew exactly what they were doing. And that's because God would reveal to the prophet Elisha what was going to happen. And so the king gets super frustrated. Like, we can't, I can't even like, are you kidding me? Like, we can't plan anything? We got to get this guy. And so they go to find him. We read this in verse 11 of 2 Kings chapter 6. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? He thought there was a traitor in their midst. And one of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is. And I may send and seize him. And it was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. And so he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So the king discovers it's Elisha, and what does he do? He says, get the whole army, go after him. I want him here now, put an end to this. Here's what we see next, verse 15. When the servant of the man of God, that man, that man of God is Elisha, he's got a servant with him. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? Elisha, he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. So just put yourself in this situation. You got Elisha, you got a servant, you got an army of people outside. That's not the moment when you're like, dude, we got this, me and you, we're going to go John Wick. You know, that's not going to happen, right? You're toast. You're not going to do it. And he looks to his servant and says, there's more with us than there is with them. And the guy's like going, one, two, hundreds. Nope, nope, I don't see it. Here's what we see next, verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. 
And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Would God open your eyes? We're at war. But greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Would you and I learn to pray earnestly that God would lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? Would we see that Jesus loves us earnestly? Today is Palm Sunday. Jesus rode in on a donkey to the cries of Hosanna. Great is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And those same people who made those cries would a week later cry, crucify him. Would we know that this is the one who goes before us? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Would we pray with and for one another and know that our God will reign victoriously? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we acknowledge that you are a good and gracious king. Lord, you pursue us, you love us, you care for us. God, I pray that you would lead us not into temptation. God, that you would direct us in our circumstances, in our trials, to be a people who cling desperately to you. That our circumstances, our trials, would build our faith and produce steadfastness in us. And that we would cling desperately to you, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would deliver us from the evil one. God, that we would not be held captive to the deception of sin, but instead we would be held captive to the word of God. That we would rest in the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. We would not try to lone wolf it anymore, but that we would build friendships and community here encouraging one another, loving one another, calling one another back to the hope of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the hope of Jesus. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.